Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome. This is the Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Victor Nieves, and I'm doing something a little bit different today. Obviously, we've been kind of continuing with a slightly different format for the Deep Dive Podcast, jumping into a few issues each week rather than just one. I do want to apologize. I didn't put out a podcast last week. Um, I, I had a lot. I had a lot of stuff going on. We were monitoring the midterms. We had all sorts of stuff going on. Uh, my girlfriend was in town visiting, so there, there was just a lot going on. So my apologies uh, for missing last week. But we're going to try and shove a whole bunch of stuff into this week. Sort of, kind of, somewhat make up for it. Now I realize I haven't yet covered anything having to do with the midterms. At least not on my podcast. I have you know on on video content and I have on the radio. But to the best of my knowledge, we have not covered anything surrounding the midterms. And let me just say, folks, like I said, I'm doing something a little bit different today. That thing that I'm doing a little bit different is I have absolutely zero prep for today's podcast. And I know that seems a little bit weird, considering the fact that the traditional history of the deep dive is that I always have a whole bunch of research and blah, blah, blah. But the greatest to ever do it, the legend himself, Rush Limbaugh, he famously said, if you're speaking from the heart, you don't need any notes, and we're going to rely on that today. I'm going to do this all <laughs> with absolutely no notes, but let's start off talking about the midterms. Uh, there's been a lot of commentary. A lot of people have offered up their two cents, their three cents, uh, their expert political analysis, and all of the, you know, Fox News did it, Newsmax did it, CNN did it. Everybody's trying to interpret what exactly happened, and I think the benefit of, of you know, covering it right now is the benefit of hindsight. We've, we've been able to kind of sit on it. We've been able to sort of mull over exactly what happened. We now know at the time of the recording of this podcast that the Democrats did hold the control of the United States Senate. Uh, I'm recording this in November. So actually, November 16th is the date of recording this. Uh, and we're going to have, I think it's it's December 10th, right? So I have a, a little under a month uh, before we'll know what happens in Georgia, but that doesn't actually matter that much because the Democrats now have 50 seats. So they maintain control in the Senate. Republicans did manage to take the House uh, by what is currently a fairly uh, fairly narrow margin. I don't remember the exact number. We, we might pick up one or two more, but we barely eked away with taking the lower chamber of Congress, which is a win. It's definitely a win, but it's undeniable that the midterms weren't the red wave everyone was predicting. And I guess I owe all of you a little bit of an apology because I, too, fell victim a little bit to some of the hype. Now, obviously, the polls were telling us we would have a red wave, and there's only so much you can go off of, right? Common sense would tell you when Republicans are polling really well. And the Democrats are screwing everything up. The economy is in the toilet. We're on the brink of World War III, according to major publications and, and you know, cable news. You would think, generally speaking, in a midterm election, which has a historical precedent of favoring the party that is not in power, you would have thought everything was there for a red wave, but apparently not. Now, the question is, among many conservatives, was the red wave real? And it was squashed by, we'll call it some fruad and mail-in shenanigans? I don't know. It's possible. As of right now, however, I haven't seen enough hard evidence. You know, like in 2020, I saw a lot of hard evidence that would lead me to believe that there was fruad. In 2022, these midterms, there was some weird stuff that definitely happened in Arizona. 
but I haven't seen hard evidence that would lead me to be jumping up and down yelling fraud. Now, that's not to say that it didn't happen. It's entirely possible that it did. And it's definitely undeniable that we had a week-long election process, which is completely unacceptable. And during the week-long election process, we happened to see the Democrats, you know, miraculously find all the votes that they needed. And I will say, when you have a week-long election process, and for example, uh, I look to the Arizona gubernatorial race, where a candidate I very strongly supported in Kerry Lake, where, where she lost by a very narrow margin there, well, on election day, you had 30% of all of the tabulators go down in Maricopa County, the most populous county there is, and we know conservatives show up to vote predominantly on election day. So that's something that would have negatively impacted conservatives. In my opinion, when you have that level of technological malfunction, that's grounds for some sort of a do-over, some sort of a repeat. But obviously, with Katie Hobbs overseeing her own election, that's never going to happen, which in and of itself, yes, conflict of interest. We won't dive all the way into that. I just bring it up to say there is definitely weird stuff. And it's unacceptable that we have these week-long elections. We need uh, day of voting. No more of the mail-in, no more of the early. We need day of voting. We need voter ID all across the country in all 50 states. And we need to be able to actually count on election day. We need to go back. I, I don't I don't like this whole election week bullcrap. I'm sure many of you are on the same page as I am there. Uh, election week is absolutely stupid. We need to go back to election day, which, by the way, these are all things that were outlined by the 45th president and soon to be the 47th president, Donald Trump, in his announcement that he did just the other day. Uh, so at the time of recording, that was like two days ago. Donald Trump, the cat's out of the bag. We've all expected this to happen. We've all sort of been waiting and anticipating it. But Donald Trump has finally announced, hallelujah, I'm getting the red hat back out, the MAGA hats back on. Donald Trump has announced his candidacy for 2024. And what I've noticed happened since then is the conservative, like the real conservative base, has got back on the Trump train. You know, for just a second, there were some people following the midterms and some of the propaganda that was put out by the rhinos and the GOP, the Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, Mike Pence sort of crowd. They were somewhat successful for a short period of time in bolstering up Ron DeSantis as a candidate, who I do like. I, we'll get into this for just a minute here. How about that? Ron DeSantis is a, is a person I like. I think Ron DeSantis has a bright future within the Republican Party. I've been somebody who has thought for a long time he would be a viable option come 2028. He's been a good governor. He's pushed through real conservative agendas that I do like in the state of Florida. I have no beef, none whatsoever, when it comes to Ron DeSantis. But what I worry we're watching happen in real time is we're watching Ron DeSantis be used essentially as a weapon. He's being used as a weapon by the deep state against Donald Trump. Or maybe you don't like the term deep state by the swamp or by the establishment, whatever you want to call it. He's been used because they recognize that there was a brief moment there where Donald Trump maybe seemed to have had a chink in the armor and they thought, that Ron DeSantis might be able to be the one to capitalize on that. And it maybe just maybe DeSantis could could do Trumpism without being Trump. And I've posted some content on this. I understand the desire to have Trumpism without Trump. I get it. Sometimes Trump can be rather abrasive. Sometimes Trump can be a little bit irritating. You know, he can say some stuff that's a little bit goofy. I haven't been 
a Donald Trump brown noser. Contrary to popular opinion of those on the left, I'm not in a cult. I have criticized Donald Trump many, many times. I've done so publicly. I, I go back. I even wrote in my book, Conservative Prudence, I wrote multiple times about how I have criticized Donald Trump. I still support him. I think he was fantastic, but I don't owe undue loyalty to every decision he's ever made. For example, when he pushed the bump stock ban, I talk about this all the time. When he pushed the bump stock ban, I was not in favor of that in any way, shape, or form. But listen, Donald Trump is that guy. He is the one who founded, you know, I think people may have forgotten for just a second. Some people still need a little bit of a reminder of who that guy is. Donald Trump is that guy. He is the OG. He is the reason that we have these Make America Great Again style candidates. You know, I love Ron DeSantis, like I said, but Ron DeSantis owes his entire existence to Donald Trump. His political career beforehand was lukewarm and lackluster at best. As a congressman, he was one of the most middle-of-the-pack Republican members of the House that you've ever heard of. There's a reason most people didn't even know that he is a former congressman, unless you're literally like a, a person from the state of Florida, and even then, some people may not have known. He barely, barely won his first election for governor. I mean, literally like just eked his way through, and he only managed to make it because Donald Trump endorsed him. And his entire campaign strategy was to mirror himself off of the image of Donald Trump. If you really want to dive into it, DeSantis has literally... He's modeled his his dress. I mean, you look at his ties, the way he wears his suits. He's modeled his his style, his attire after Donald Trump. He's modeled his hand gestures. You know those famous Trump hand gestures? I'm sure you can imagine them. Ron DeSantis does those exact same hand gestures. That's not accidental. That's not just like a happy coincidence. That was intentional. Very, very intentional. And I have no problem with that. I think it's awesome. I think I, I think imitation is the highest form of flattery. It should be considered a great compliment to Donald Trump. But even, even the way he speaks, the cadence of his voice, the way that he talks is made to mirror Donald Trump. He campaigned. His, his ads were him and his son building a wall and, and reading a Donald Trump yard sign and stuff. Ron DeSantis owes his entire political existence as of, you know, like recent, his, his recent claim to fame has been the fact that he coattailed and modeled himself after Donald Trump. There is a lot of merit to that. And like I said, I like him an awful lot. But if he runs against, and I, this isn't official yet, but there's certainly reason to believe that he has started to lay the groundwork for a shadow campaign to run against Donald Trump. If he turns around and runs against Donald Trump, I will not take kindly to that. He owes his entire political existence to Donald Trump. That's not just biting the hand that feeds you. That's biting the guy who made you. That would be a massive, massive stab in the back. So to anyone who's wondering, like, hey, why did, why did uh, you know, Donald Trump call him Ron B. Sanctimonious, which, frankly, isn't that big of an insult. People got very butthurt over that, but it wasn't that big of a deal. Trump takes a swipe at everybody. But when, when you wonder, like, why was, why was Trump calling him Ron D. Sanctimonious? Well, it would seem to me that Trump is a big loyalty guy. 
Trump likes to have a little bit of loyalty, and he deserves a certain aspect of loyalty, loyalty, especially from those who rode the Trump train to prominence. For them to get off of the Trump train and then stab him in the back, that's dirty. That's not cool. And if Ron DeSantis announces that he's running for president, I'm not saying you have to agree with me here. I'm just saying for me personally, I will lose a tremendous amount of respect for him. The same goes to Mike Pompeo. Mike Pompeo is laying the groundwork uh, of a potential 2024 presidential run. I loved Mike Pompeo. I thought he was fantastic. I've even uh, floated his name around as a potential VP with Trump. Absolutely not. Same story. If he runs against Donald Trump, I will lose so much respect for him. Donald Trump is that guy. He is the New York billionaire, the 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 no-nonsense guy who practically self-funded his campaign. He's not a part of the swamp. He's not beholden to special interests and big donors. He's doing this on behalf of the American people. He's not some guy who went to Yale or Harvard and has some illustrious career in politics, suckling from the government teat his entire life. He's not one of those people. He is that guy. He is the one and the only Donald J. Trump, and I fully 100% endorse him. I 110% support him. I think some of the proposals that he made in his speech were absolutely brilliant. They're going to appeal to a tremendous number of people all across the, the country. He talked about banning members of Congress from lobbying after they get out of Congress, which is awesome. That's brilliant. Totally here for that. He talked about term limits, which I actually have an entire podcast on, one of the old school deep dives. We uncovered everything there is to know about term limits, and the conclusion at the end of that was that they're not necessarily the solution that some people think they are. I think they're sort of a band-aid on a bullet hole, and I stand by that 110%. I stand by what I said, but strategically from a political optives perspective, that was brilliant because the vast majority of people, whether it's a band-aid on a bullet hole or not, they don't really know that. The vast vast majority of of American people are going to hear term limits and they're going to think, you know what? Like imagine that like a moderate, like an independent person is going to hear term limits and they're going to think, this guy is a freaking genius. I love him. He really is here on behalf of the American people. He really is here to drain the swamp, to get rid of these career politicians and etc. So even though it may seem like a band-aid on a bullet hole, it's going to get him some serious, serious support. And he did a lot of intelligent things. He didn't just rehash the issues of 2016 or 2020. He came in with a new set of campaign promises. You know, another thing, interesting enough, he said that he supports the death penalty for drug dealers, and I'm assuming he means drug dealers that they were caught really selling, you know, like not just a random kid selling like a little baggie of pot to his buddy, but like real drug dealers. He said he supports the death penalty for drug dealers. And there, there's an interesting, I, I don't know how to break that one down. Again, I have a whole video, I believe. If, if I don't have a video on it, I've posted articles on it on uh, Locals. I know that much for sure. But I'm, I'm again, I'm not a supporter of the death penalty. I just I think that government can get it wrong, especially in the case of like a drug dealer. Somebody could be framed. There could be a lot that goes into it. I don't I don't trust government to execute the death penalty. But again, analyzing this from a political perspective, for one, do I think he's actually going to achieve that? No, probably not. But 
it definitely gives him a bit of that strong man persona, and people like that. People are looking for that, especially as we see that in the midterms, one of the biggest uh, topics, one of the biggest things that voters cared about was the rise in crime. This gives him a new, uh, and even more so, of a strong man view, right? People will view him as this strong man who's going to push back. He's going to combat crime. He's going to go after these drug dealers. And and frankly, listen, these drug dealers, they really do. They kill a lot of people. The the people, especially these dealers who are cutting, you know, they're like lacing stuff and they're cutting these things and they're, they really are ruining people's lives. I, I come from an area that has rural Missouri has a pretty serious heroin problem. I've had personal friends who have had their lives completely ruined by heroin. And listen, I get the appeal to saying, you know what, whoever whoever is doing that to these people, the, the guys who are cutting in and doing all this stuff, the dealers, yeah, I understand. I understand the uh, the desire to see those people swinging from a tree. But at the same time, I stand by my conviction that I don't really think government, I, I, I don't trust government to be the one who pulls that lever, right? You know what I'm trying to say? Anyways, I, I thought overall... Even though Trump laid out some campaign promises that I'm not, you know, in, in massive defense of, things that, in fact, I disagree with, I, I think that the speech itself was fantastic. I think it was excellent. I think it was very well done. Although a little bit boring, it was brilliant. It was absolutely genius. The way that he laid it out was fantastic. Now, I want to segue a little bit away from the midterms and away from uh, Trump's announcement. And I want to hit on a, a theme that I've been paying a lot of attention to. And by the way, Expect some sort of an announcement from me here in the near future. I would assume within one calendar year, one, excuse me, goodness, sound a little bit like uh, like Joe Biden, but that's okay. We're going to leave it in the podcast for, you know, integrity's sake. But it's like, hey, at least I didn't sound like John Fetterman. Anyways, within the next calendar year or so, anticipate some level of an announcement from me regarding the subject, and that is Generation Z. I've made a little bit of content about Gen Z before. Actually, I've made a lot of content. I have previous podcasts about Gen Z. I have a theory I call the whiplash theory. Gen Z stands to be potentially one of the most conservative generations in human history. But Gen Z showed up in the midterms and voted extremely, extremely Democrat. Like some of these places you look at, uh, like, for example, there was a study conducted of exit polling at the Arizona State University. 96% of students voted for Katie Hobbs, whereas only 4% of students voted for Carrie Lake. Now, obviously, college campuses are going to be an outlier. They're going to be predominantly liberal, even more so than the general population. But that's really concerning. The trend we're seeing with Gen Z is that even though many of them are conservative, even though many uh, people within Gen Z are, are brilliant young people that are going to fight the good fight, the Democrats are mobilizing their votes way better. They're, they're mobilizing the Democrat voters within Gen Z way, way better. And it's because the Democrats, for as stupid as they are and as evil as a lot of their policies may be, they're extremely, extremely good at marketing. They have very, very effective get-out-the-vote campaigns. They're very, very good at playing upon people's emotions. And they really, really hit social issues hard. Social issues, by the way, as you know, I've talked about quite a lot in the past, social issues are things that the conservatives, the boomer generation and Gen X conservatives, didn't really care about, which was a mistake. And then they don't really bring it up. So, for example, the abortion conversation, which I still believe to be a winning issue for conservatives, the abortion conversation 
was essentially forced onto the ballot with the Dobbs decision. And I fully support the Dobbs decision. Listen, we could have lost the House and the Senate 100,000% because of the Dobbs decision, and I still would have stood by it because saving the lives of the unborn is far more important than partisan gain or partisan loss. Don't really care that much. I do care a lot about saving babies. Anyways, when Dobbs was decided and Roe v. Wade was overturned, that forced the issue into the mainstream right before the midterm elections. And a lot of Republican strategists did the dumbest thing humanly possible, humanly possible, excuse me, they shied away from the conversation and they allowed the left to have a complete monopoly on that discussion. They allowed the left to frame it unopposed, completely frame the conversation and say, Republicans are trying to take your rights. Republicans are trying to take away your health care. Republicans want you to die. Republicans this, Republicans that. And what did the GOP establishment say in response? Well, 99% of all candidates said nothing. They said absolutely nothing. And get this, the candidates like, for example, Blake Masters in Arizona, who did campaign on this issue, by the way, brilliant. That's exactly what they should have done. They were outspent by their Democrat opposition like 15 to 1. People like Mitch McConnell and the Senate leadership campaign funds and their PACs and all of that stuff, they didn't give Blake Masters anything. So he ran with virtually no money. Think about this. He ran with virtually no money compared to his Democrat opponent, and he still came very close in that race. What does that tell you? If they would have just given this guy a tiny bit of money, he would have blown them out of the water. See, the GOP mistakenly thought that abortion was a losing issue, when in reality, abortion and social issues are massively, massively winning issues. But the unfortunate reality of campaigning is you have to have money. You have to have money in order to run campaign ads. You have to have money to get on TV or to get on the radio. They don't just give you that stuff for free. It's just a testament to how fantastic of of a campaign some of these people ran with what limited resources they had because the GOP didn't give them freaking anything. These so-called leaders like Mitch McConnell and, 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 you know, all of them, McCarthy and all of them, they, they didn't give, they strangled, they... They starved these campaigns of any finance so that they could then go and point toward Trump and blame him and say, oh, these candidates lost because of Trump or, oh, these candidates lost because of abortion. No, they didn't. They did extraordinarily well given the circumstance. You just didn't fund them. So anyways, whenever I talk about Gen Z and I talk about these social issues, these are things that really, really matter. Social issues really, really matter. And it's what mobilizes and inspires the young generation. The young generation doesn't care about your 401k. They don't care about your tax policy. They don't care about this kind of boring economic theory because, listen, we're $31 trillion trillion in debt. Sound economic policy is out the window 10 miles back. We're, We're never getting that back. At least that's the perspective of many young people. They think, why even bother? Why bother telling me how negative, uh, you know, universal health care may be on the economy? Why bother telling me how negative it may be uh, on the economy to cancel student loan debt? Why even bother? It's not like it matters. We're $31 trillion in debt. That's the dominating sentiment of many young people when it comes to economic policy. So when the GOP comes to the Gen Z voter and they say, hey, this is why socialism sucks and we need more capitalism, I do agree with 
with what the GOP is saying. They're correct in their logic. Gen Z just doesn't freaking care. And if the GOP doesn't want to kill themselves, literally, I mean, they've set a maybe a 10-year time bomb because Gen Z is about to become the biggest voting demographic in the entire country. And they don't vote Republican because Gen, uh, because the, the Gen X and the boomers have run horrible marketing campaigns to reach them. If the GOP wants to reach the young people, we have to reevaluate our strategy. You know, if you were a fisherman, for example, and you've been fishing for flathead catfish for the last 25 years, the flathead catfish are the boomers. If you've been fishing for these catfish for the last 25 years and now... You find yourself fishing from a different pond or a stream, and this one has brown trout, the brown trout being uh, Gen Z. The brown trout are going to bite an entirely different lure or an entirely different bait than the flathead catfish. And what the boomer generation in politics, the, you know, McConnells and et cetera, what they've been doing is they've been, they've been casting their liver chunks that they would have used to catch flathead catfish. They've been casting those out, trying to catch brown trout. And listen, brown trout are not going to bite chunks of liver. You have to use a different lure. Do you get the analogy I'm trying to make? If we want to reach the young generation, let's stop throwing them 401k liver chunks and let's start hitting them where they actually, what they care about. Let's throw them uh, some salmon eggs. Let's throw them. If there's fishermen out there, by the way, you should be impressed with my knowledge of fish. Anyways, <laughs> let's throw them some salmon eggs. Let's throw them something that mimics what they actually want. And not to be disingenuous. Listen, I don't want you to overanalyze and think about the bait and the lure to make it seem disingenuous. I'm just talking about we have to hit them where the, we have to hit them with subjects that they care about. We have to talk about the social issues. We have to lean into this kind of stuff. The transgender stuff. The modern gender theory. The abortion stuff, what they're doing to our society, the moral rot, the decay of our culture, that's what Gen Z cares about. We have to use emotion and logic. I reject that old statement from Ben Shapiro as, as much as I may like him on certain issues. I reject that old thing of facts don't care about your feelings. Yeah, well, liberals don't care about your facts. They only care about your feelings. And guess what? Young people are basically cut from that cloth as well. Young people don't care about your facts. They care about their feelings. So let's start being intelligent and fish with the right lure and actually tell them, you know, hey, by the way, here's the very real reality of abortion and use an emotional appeal. They respond to an emotional appeal. So let's use an emotional appeal, not in a disingenuous or dishonest way, but an entirely honest way. Listen, emotion backed up by logic is tremendously powerful. Just think of how far the Democrats have been able to go. Think of how far they've come using purely emotion with no logic. Now think of how far we could go if we learned to use emotion with logic. That's the most brilliant combination we can ever do. And unfortunately, it seems like some of the old guard in the GOP are incompetent in that fashion. They don't understand it. So I'm going to take that responsibility upon myself and I'm going to start an organization to reach Gen Z. I, I haven't uh, disclosed the name or the, the final details of all of that just yet, but I'm not going to be someone who sits around and shakes their fist in the air and complains about an issue. I'm going to bring forward a solution. Hopefully you guys look forward to that. I'm not going to just rehash something that's already been done. I'm not recreating like a turning point or something of that nature. This is going to be completely different and hopefully Hopefully it's going to be extraordinarily successful. I just know we have to do something. Otherwise, we're literally screwed. 
So anyways, again, I had no idea what I was going to talk about this podcast, no idea what the title of this is going to be. I'm going to have to listen to it again. I talked really fast and covered at least an hour and a half's worth of subject material within 28 minutes. I'm pretty impressed with myself. Folks, if you liked the podcast and you enjoyed it, be sure to share it with somebody. I love doing these. I really do. Hopefully you guys like them. I still see a lot of people are watching these. If you like it, Make sure you support over on Locals. Go to thegoons.locals.com. Once again, that's thegoons.locals.com. We just crossed, I think, either four or 5,000 total podcast downloads. Super crazy, super awesome numbers I didn't ever anticipate. And that's all made possible by the supporters like you over on Locals. Listen, that's all the time I have. I'm, I'm all out of subject material I'm pretty happy with today's podcast. I hope you are as well. Until next time, keep me in your prayers. Keep your country in your prayers. God bless.